Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Ladies and gentlemen, we are almost there. We are hours away from concluding the summer study of the book of Jeremiah, summer 2023 study of the book of Jeremiah. We are a few hours away from bringing this to some kind of a conclusion. There are times I'm calling it a dramatic conclusion, and then I'll back up and go, well, I don't know if it's going to be very dramatic. Then I just say, well, it's going to be a conclusion. So I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not committing myself to what kind of conclusion it will be. It just will be a conclusion. But welcome, everyone. It is Thursday. You know the day, obviously, August the 31st, the last day of August, 2023. It is currently 8.44 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where over the next few hours, I hope you're ready, it's just going to be Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. It's not, it's going to be done much more in probably a very casual way, more of a conversational way. We're just going to be talking about different things, and I'm going to be using maybe a study guide to kind of guide some of this to try to get us closer and closer to the end. I, I, I've been checking my email, hoping that there would be lots of, that this this dramatic conclusion that we're working towards, right? Again, I don't know if it's dramatic. Well, this, this dramatic attempt to get to the end of the book of Jeremiah by the end of August, I really thought it was going to generate more, more discussion, more buzz, but you know, it, it really, it really hasn't. And, and I, and I know I say this all the time. I know this, but I have definitely seen this in my Christian life, and I, I I don't know how to process this reality, but there there is something to this. Too many times in my Christian life, I have seen that if you really want interaction, if you really want feedback, if you really want some buzz, if you really want some downloads, if you really want some your numbers of streams to increase, if you really want to get kind of more of a following. I'm not saying that there are exceptions to this rule, but I've seen time and time again, what you need to do is generate some controversy and deal with controversial topics, deal with, with controversial issues. You know, if you turn on the microphone and you talk about COVID and COVID restrictions and mask and whether they work or don't work and the vaccine, and it, is it the mark of the beast? And if you do, oh, if you talk about Trump and politics and, and woke culture and LGBTQ, and if you, you oh man, you're going to get the streams. You're going to get the downloads. You're going to get, if you talk about Alex Jones, whatever the case may be, you're going to get the streams and you're going to get the downloads. You, you will get the, the emails. You'll get the interaction. You'll get it. But if you say, Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to spend the next three months studying the book of Jeremiah. You know, that book that you claim is the word of God. It is our ultimate standard. It is my spiritual food. It is my milk. It is my meat. I desire it more than gold and silver, more than the honey and the honeycomb. I, I, it's the word of God. I meditate on it day and night. We know all of those wonderful things as Christians we say about scripture. But when you say three months, can you commit three months to doing everything in your power to study the book of Jeremiah, to read it, to discuss it? It's amazing how that will not come anywhere close to comparing what the other things will generate. 
just a now there's always going to now that doesn't mean there won't be anyone. So don't so don't misinterpret. There will always be some who do hunger for God's word, who do desire for God's word, who will commit themselves to study. And they're going to study whether you're doing it or not. They're going to feed upon it, meditate on it, and they're going to do their best to try to understand it. But I think that group is in the minority of the minority of the minority. Even within the church, people will tell you, I want a church that digs into scripture. I want a church that teaches the scripture. I want a church that loves the scripture. I want a church that's committed to the scripture. But then slowly but surely, no, 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 no. They want get togethers and they want activities and they want fellowships and they want this and and they they want it to be more like a sermon. They don't want it to be so academic and they don't want it to feel like a seminary. And then, and then little by little, you'll see all of that talk was just talk. I demonstrated this, I thought, in a rather profound way. I thought I did in a rather profound way, way back when I was going to take my church through the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And the first part of the London Baptist Confession of Faith talks about the scriptures. And I remember reading it, and and of course, everyone would be like, amen, amen, because it says all of these very exalted things about the scripture. It's the final authority. It's the word of God. It's infallible. You know, it's inerrant. It's inspired. And it'd be amen, 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 amen. And I'm like, well, you know, it's easy, guys, for all of us to talk about, yes, it's the word of God. And everyone say amen, and you're all giving acknowledgement to it. It's one thing to talk a big game on how much you think of God's word and how wonderful you think it is. It's another thing to demonstrate your love for it and your commitment to it and your actions. So I stopped right in the middle of covering like the first section of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and I taught the 12 methods of Bible study. And I'm like, okay, now, hey, if you really believe that it's the inerrant, it's the inspired, it's the infallible word of God, then guess what? You're going to want to know these methods and you're going to go home and guess what you're going to do from this point forward? You'll use them. You'll be doing a chapter summary method. You'll be doing a biographical, a topical, a thematic. You'll be doing this. You'll be doing, you'll be, and you'll be like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) It didn't work out that way. It did not work out that way. People, people are not going to do the Bible study methods. It's work. It's work. It's discipline. But at the same time, they'll say, we want a church that's committed to the word of God. We want the word of God. We want the word of God. And then you'll say, oh, okay, okay. Well, if you're not going to do the Bible study methods, I know what we'll do as a church. We'll study a particular book. Now, here's what I want you to do, your, you guys to do. Read the book over and over and over. And I'll give you homework based off the book. Where I'll tell you to look this up or to do this or to do this. And, oh, okay. And we'll... And will people, no, they won't participate, but they, but they, but they will still tell you it's the word of God. 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 It's see, it's always easy to vocalize commitment, to vocalize support, to vocalize a belief, right? It's easy to speak it. It's another thing to try to put it into practice in any meaningful way. It's even true for me, right? I can talk a big game. I mean, I can turn on the microphone and produce 60-something hours on the book of Jeremiah. You think I could pat myself on the back and go, well, see, see, you you prove that you love God's word. But no, I, I, I prove that I spent a lot of hours sitting here doing something. It doesn't mean that 
Do you think every time I was here in front of the microphone for this summer of 2023 talking about Jeremiah, do you think that my heart was always into it and I was really, do you not focused on it? Do you not, do you not think that there were times I was focused and wanting to do other things? No, come on. See, I think sometimes within Christianity, we know what to say. We know what to say we, that we're committed to. We have a hard time being honest that sometimes, I hate to say it, we kind of treat the scriptures as if they're disposable, as if we could take it or leave it, as if like, oh, yeah, that's what it says. Okay, whatever. I don't care. I don't, I'm not gonna really going to dig into it. And we kind of just tossed it, toss it aside. Now, we never physically toss it aside because no, 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 no. We're going to act all spiritual. But I'm saying internally, we sometimes throw it aside. Three months dedicated to one book. How did any of us really do? Did we really show a commitment to it? Now, before we know it, within a couple of hours, the summer 2023 study of the book of Jeremiah comes to a dramatic conclusion again, or a conclusion. It may come to a a sad, pathetic it just ends in a whimper. Okay, it may it may end in, who knows? I may make 500 mistakes between now and midnight. Who knows? But, but, but then it'll be over and Jeremiah will be done. And we'll take our Bibles, we'll close them, and we'll move on from Jeremiah. And then wherever we go next, whatever we do next, once again, I think I, I, I can always try to generate a little bit of an excitement, a little bit of buzz, and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then... And then we fall aside because it's easier. It's hard to stay committed to it. So what, what is your real commitment to the word of God? Do you really hunger and thirst for just teaching on scripture? Or are you really find yourself drawn to conspiracies and controversy and politics and culture wars? I think it's a it's an important question. I mean, right now, I just looked a little while ago. The number one sermon for the month of August for me on the Sermons 2.0 app is Alex Jones and Eschatology, which that was kind of just done as kind of like, a, you know, oh, man, I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear an apologetics program talking about eschatology. And who in the world do they have on the program? They have Alex Jones. What kind of night terror is this? So I just like, well, we'll just throw this together. It'll be fun. That, that, ladies and gentlemen, that got the numbers. Hey, we're working on Jeremiah for the entire month, for the entire three months of summer, all the way to August. Now, th- some of those numbers for Jeremiah have been pretty good on, on those uh, platforms, on those platforms. Now, I'd have to go compare it to other platforms because obviously Sermons 2.0 and Church 1, that is like, th- that's just one step up from YouTube. YouTube is our lowest number. And then th- that's second. And then, of course, all the other podcast platforms is where we bring in the big numbers, right? So I'd have to look to see what the numbers are there. It's harder to break it down by... You know, because it's not broken down by series. I guess I could go try to look. It's a little bit more difficult. But it just makes me concerned sometimes what we really hunger for. And I've always struggled with this throughout my whole Christian life. I've talked about it before when I became a Christian as a teenager. I was like, okay, guys, it's Friday night. 
Let's get to the church and do. Wait, wait, nobody. And I'm and I'm looking at all the Christian teenagers raised in Christian homes. They don't want to go to church on a Friday night and study the Bible. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't we want? Are we Christian? Oh, what do we do on Friday nights? Oh, we watch movies and we play video games and we go out with, oh, we just do what everyone else does. But we just make sure we do it a little differently because we're godly. Okay, okay, got it, I got it. So really, we just adapt. So Christians are just really about a new system of morality. It's just about moralism. Oh, okay. So and so you, then you kind of, and then you realize that the adults themselves don't want to. I talked about before that at the church, there was a discipleship class. And I was like, yeah. And then I realized, I was the only one who shows up on Sunday night. There's no one else in the church who wants to learn, quote unquote, be discipled. Nobody in the church. So then I'm thinking, well, everyone else in the church has to be discipled. So you ask them questions and then you're like, what is the problem? And I kind of always have seen this to some level in my Christian life. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm more spiritual than other people. I've always said that I just have always had a desire for it. But it is convicting considering the Bible says things like, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That the Bible is our spiritual milk. It is our spiritual meat. It is our, it is our sword. Uh, it, the word of God should be studied. It should be memorized. Uh, we should, we, I mean, we should hide it in our heart that, uh, that we might not sin against thee. We should meditate on it day and night. Now, I know all of that is law, which ultimately condemns us because we will never do it. But I just think then what we have to do is be more honest. Meaning, oh yes, I believe the Bible is amazing. I believe it's great. It's wonderful in theory. But when it really comes to practice, I can take it or leave it. I just think we need to be more honest. Like we talk a big game, but when it comes down to it, not everyone, there's always exceptions. So if this is not, this doesn't apply to you, don't get offended. All right. If it doesn't apply to you, congratulations. That's great. You probably got your own spiritual issues, but it is something to consider. Now, I say all of that because we're going to spend a couple of hours in God's word trying to finish the book of Jeremiah, and hopefully we can do something here that is beneficial. But we need to go back to the last hour, right? The last hour that we spent in the book of Jeremiah, we learned about the Rechabites. The Rechabites. Remember them? Okay. Now, the Rechabites are this group, this individuals, a group of individuals, this group, who They had all of these rules, all of these rules, right? They're not going to live in cities. They're just going to live in tents. They're not going to plant anything. They're not going to, they're not going to have basically any property. They're not going to drink wine. They're just going to be nomads roaming the land. And, and, and they had all of these rules and they followed these rules. They were committed to these rules for over 200 years. They were committed to the rules. So we had a very good conversation about rules in in your Christian life. And once again, you can make up rules about, well, how much time should you spend in God's word? Those could be rules, right? Now, scripture gives you some guidance, but it doesn't get too super specific. And we talked about the dangers of rules and how we could use and use and, and not use them. We went in a little bit of history of the Rechabites, and we talked about how God, you, like, now the study guide tried to say Jer, uh, Jeremiah was doing this like he was clever, but God told him to bring in the Rechabites, offer them wine. Clearly, they're going to say no. And then I'm going to use this to ask the people, well, the Rechabites will obey these man-made rules. Why won't you obey my rules? Which again, I think ultimately demonstrates that man's depravity will never obey God's law. And then we talked about the possible difference and how our depravity reacts to God's law versus man's rules. 
And we talked about that, and hopefully it sparked a good conversation wherever you are uh, this evening. But I do want to go back and correct something. And not really correct something, just, you know, whenever you're studying the Bible. So we, we read a little bit about the Rechabites, and we read a little description about their origin, right? And we read this. This is about the Rechabites, all right? The household of the Rechabites is known largely from this chapter. That's Jeremiah chapter 35. Their founder was Jonadab. Or, and this is where I had, I, I said the name like a bunch of different ways. Jehonadab, 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 right? Jehonadab. I think I said Jehonadab. I really broke it down. Now, you may not have cared one way or the other. I think most say Jehonadab, Jehonadab. I want Jehonadab. Is it the biggest deal? I don't know. I just wanted you to acknowledge that I know that there are different ways of saying it. So uh, Jehonadab, son of, now I did verify this one. I, I wanted to say Rechab, but it's the son of Rechab who lived under King Jehu of the Northern Kingdom. Jehonadab apparently supported the king's radical reform movements, which included demolishing the Baal cult and other elements of the Canaanite culture. The Rechabites also promised their ancestors that they would not build houses or plant vineyards, apparently so they would be able to remain mobile. They were devout worshipers of the Lord. The Lord told Jeremiah to invite the Rechabites into the temple to give them wine to drink. Now, the way the study guide formulated it, it started in verse 5 and kind of left out the God part. And then it kind of act like Jeremiah. It almost insinuated that Jeremiah was like, hey, I'm going to use these people as an object lesson. But it was God telling Jeremiah to bring them in, offer them wine. They're going to say no. And then I want you to go to the people and go, well, hey, the Rechabites listen to an earthly authority. Why won't you listen to God? All right. So we talked about that and we talked about rules. So I thought for this hour, Let's, let's go to Jeremiah 36, and let's see maybe if this has any connection to the long introduction I just gave about our attitude towards God's Word. You can tell me what you think. Are you ready? Now, we're going to start by looking at understanding the context. We didn't do this in the last hour. I'm utilizing the Explore the Bible Personal Study Guide, Summer 2023. I'm just going to read this because it gives some, some of the context for chapter 36 to chapter 39. And I'm doing this for what reason? Okay, I'm, I'm asking you like you're here. I'm doing it because I want to re reinforce. I want to remind. I want you to know this information. I want you to know this, all right? And I've really tried to get you to know, really, chapter 29 to 33. I've really tried to do a lot there. We spent some time in 35. Now we're going to spend some time in 36. Here's going to give us a reminder of 36 to 39. We've already covered all the way to 52, but this is all extra, really just trying to do it. I'm just grasping at anything going, okay, how, what can I do with this to really reinforce some of these ideas? So I'm just trying to do this to reinforce and to refresh and to remind these concepts. So here is how they describe the context of chapter 36, verse 1 to chapter 39, verse 18. The events of Jeremiah 36 took place in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign over Judah. And they have that listed from 605 to 4 BC is what they have here. Why would they have it 605 to 4 BC? Well, 
That is, I don't know what they mean by that. Let's forget that. All right, let's do that. Let's forget that. The events of Jeremiah 36 took place in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign over Judah. Jehoiakim became king when his father, Josiah, was mortally wounded in a battle against the Egyptians in 609 BC. See, it's weird. They have 605 slash 4 BC, 609 slash 8 BC. I need to go back and see why why they're doing that. I, I don't know at the top of my head. Maybe I should know, but I'm going to go with 605 and 609. All right. Okay. So let's read that again. The events of Jeremiah 36 took place in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign over Judah, 605 BC. Uh, Jehoiakim became king when his father Josiah was mortally wounded in a battle against the Egyptians, 609 BC. Uh, Necho, the pharaoh of Egypt, installed Jehoiakim as his puppet king in the place of his brother uh, Jehoahaz who had been on the throne for only three months, 2 Kings 23, 31 through 35. Now, remember, in our study of Jeremiah 22, we went through all of these kings, all of their different names, how long they reigned, what happened to them, because we felt that that was very, 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 very important to get that down. At the time, I I, I debated debated with myself, why are we going so kind of academic through this? And then later on, we realized why it was important because you need to know all of the names of these kings, even moving forward, all right? Um, the events in chapter 36 also happened in the year when the Babylonian prince, Nebuchadnezzar, laid siege on Jerusalem and conquered it. Nebuchadnezzar and his allies defeated the last remnant of the Assyrians and their Egyptian allies in 605 BC in the Battle of Carchemish, north of Israel. With the Assyrians decimated, Necho fled back to Egypt when Nebuchadnezzar entered Jerusalem. He was following the Egyptians to finish them off, but it appears that while he was there, he received news his father had died. Right, Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon to establish his succession. Before Nebuchadnezzar left Jerusalem, he made Jehoiakim his vassal and took with him some of the people of Judah into exile, including Daniel. Well, now that makes sense. So, well, no, that doesn't make perfect sense, but it means that obviously Jehoiakim then would have reigned because he's he's left as kind of a vassal leader for a while, all right? And and during this time, um, he took with some of the people of Judah into exile, including Daniel. This is Daniel chapter one. This would become the first of three deportations of the people of Judah into Babylonian captivity, which we've already outlined, these three deportations. And we talked about Daniel goes in one, Ezekiel goes, and then in the third one, everything is destroyed and everything that took place. All right, we went, we gave the dates and all of that for that. All right, um, everything that had happened confirmed that Jeremiah had been prophesying, confirmed what Jeremiah had been prophesying concerning an invasion from the north that would ultimately bring disaster to Jerusalem and the people of Judah. Jeremiah chapter four, verse six, chapter six, verse one, chapter 15, verse 12. One would think that Jehoiakim and the people of Judah would have been ready to listen to Jeremiah. In light of these current events, instead, Jehoiakim had hardened his heart against the Lord and closed his ears to the words of this prophet. 
Consequently, God declared that Jehoiakim would not have descendants to sit on David's throne, and that Jehoiakim would die and his corpse would lie in the open, ex- lie in the open, exposed to the elements. All right. Now, the only thing I'm confused there is the weird dating. Like they got 605 slash 4 BC, 609 slash 8 BC. All right. I'm not quite catching on to why. I don't think it, I don't, maybe the study guide had done that earlier. I don't remember them doing that earlier. I'm looking really quick. I don't remember that doing that. Am I missing something? Yeah, I'd have to go back. I don't remember them doing that. There's probably something in here that explains what they were doing and why they were doing that. Yeah, see, when I look here at the very beginning, understanding the context, 627 BC, 605 BC, they don't do 597 BC, 586 BC. They don't do that weird numbering thing. Um, So maybe there's a reason why I missed it. If we figure it out, we'll talk about it before the end of the night. But I just thought it caught, threw me off guard. I'm like, what are they doing? So here we have, though, the emphasis in this uh, context is it's all about Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim refuses to listen to Jeremiah. He, in a sense, refuses, harden his, hardens his heart, will not listen to the word of God. So it's really about, even though all of the things surrounding him would have said Jeremiah was preaching the truth. Which just seems to indicate to me, because of man's depravity, even seeing proof, definitive proof of God, because of man's depravity, because we're dead in our trespasses and sin, God himself could appear and that will not bring faith to a person. Even seeing the work of God, seeing God himself, God himself has to supernaturally grant us faith because it is a gift of God. All right. That gets into a whole theological issue about what our depravity does or doesn't do, all right? So, all right, there, there's that. Now, they, they have this interesting question here. As you read Jeremiah 36, 19 to 31, what do you discover concerning the word of God? Oh, now, now you see my long introduction? It, you see why I did that? Because it looks like there's going to be something in this chapter dealing with the word of God. Now, here, even in the context, they're kind of showing you Jehoiakim refused to hear the word of God. Then immediately they want you to consider Jeremiah 36, 19 to 31. And they want, they ask you, what do you discover concerning the word of God? What do we discover concerning the word of God in Jeremiah chapter 36? Well, let's see how they're going to cover it. And we will see. Now, once again, the study guide skips all the introductory. Now, last time they skipped it, they kind of end up late, kind of misled us a little bit. They made it sound like Jeremiah came up with an idea when it was actually God. Now, we're going to follow where they start. Like last time, if we have to back up, we will back up and then correct their assumption or their, their approach. I will go with their idea until I need to depart from it and then try to correct it. Okay, so does that make sense? All right, here we go. Jeremiah 36 they want us to skip verses 1 through 18, and they want us to go to directly to verse 19. And they want us to read verses 19 to 21 to begin. So are you ready? Then said the princess unto Barak, Go, hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. And they went into the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll and the chamber of Elisha Shema, 
the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now, this leaves us with a lot of, like, it just jumps right into this story. We don't really know exactly what's going on. So, hey, you know what? It's the last night of our study. Let's go back to chapter 36 and let's see if we can figure out exactly what's going on, right? Because don't you think you need a little bit more information? They're just jumping in there. We got these names, Elishama, Jehudai. We got, we, we got names that just appear out of nowhere. That's, see, that's the, always the problem with these kinds of books because when you're trying to go through them quickly, you have to skip things. But when you skip things, the person listening just kind of gets dropped into a scene and you don't really know what's going on, which I think leads sometimes. So, hey, We've got till midnight. Let, let's let's just back up and go through slowly and see what we can find. Clearly, the the study guide thinks that this has something to do with God's word. Now, there's a book. The book's being read. Is that God's word? All right. Now, let's let's see what happens here. Let's go back to chapter thirty-six, verse one. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord saying, now here we go. Now we have the word once again coming to Jeremiah. Remember, this is over and over and over throughout the book of Jeremiah. What Jeremiah is giving is not his opinion, his thoughts. He is giving them the word of God. And we know from from the outward, from the human perspective, Jeremiah's message is a failure from a human perspective because no one's listening, no one's obeying, no one's responding, but Jeremiah keeps preaching, which is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to keep preaching and teaching whether people like it or not. Whether it's in season or out of season, we're to keep preaching God's word. Because look, there comes a time. People don't want to hear sermons. They don't want to hear in-depth Bible study. They want to hear some controversial topic. And well, you can either give them what they want, or you can just try to continue to give out God's word. And that's what Jeremiah does. Now, here we go. Verse two, take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I've spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee from the days of Josiah even unto this day. All right, finally, all of the revelation that's been given to Jeremiah, whether it was audibly, whether it was in a vision, all the different ways possibly he received the message. Now he is to write it down. Now we're getting to God's word, God's written word, right? Now, that, see, see why? See why I did the long introduction? See, see, there was a method to my madness. All right, here we go. Verse three. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I propose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Now, once again, this is just shows you that at this time, it's very law-based. Basically, write it down so that they may hear all the threats all the warnings, all the rules. Now, of course, we know the human heart is not going to submit and is not not going to obey. All right, but look at verse four. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. 
And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore, go thou and read in the roll, which thou hast written from my mouth, the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. So in a sense, we really kind of have an example of God's word, God's revelation being transferred over into a written form. God has given the words to Jeremiah. Jeremiah gives the words to Baruch. They are written down. And then he is to deliver them to the people. Verse 7. It may be they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return everyone from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against this people. All right, so far. Now, this getting, now, now we can understand where the study guide just jumps down to verse 19. See, now we are, I, see, this time I didn't want to wait. I was going to read what they started to say, but this time I decided, you know what? Let's just back up and get the context immediately. What they should have done when, in their section in the study guide that says understanding the context, they should have given us the context for 36 instead of just going back, going through the entire history of Jehoiakim and, and all the other names that they brought up and the weird dating that they do there. But I, I digress. I digress. All right. Let, let, let's, let's continue here. All right. Verse 8. Jeremiah 36, verse 8. All right. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah, the prophet, commanded him, reading in the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. The Lord's house. The Lord's word. The Lord's house. The Lord's word. The Lord's house should be a place where the Lord's word is read and studied. It should be a place about the word. That's what it should be. And I know we love in the church to say that it is, but I will say the church is more of a community center where people are more interested in friends and instead of actually digging into God's word, instead of really digging into God's word, we want sermons. We want sermons that, that follow basic patterns that you're taught in speech to be a good communicator than actually digging into the scriptures. But he said, go to the Lord's house and read his word. When you come to church, it should be to hear the word of God, to study it. That's what it should be about. Verse nine, and it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. Now, what? Do you find something interesting in verse 9? Does that not hit anybody else when you're reading? Just as a good Bible, I say this all the time when I'm studying books of the Bible. I always stop and try to get, I want, like, I have... When I read, I have interaction with what I'm reading. Like I talk back to it. I, 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 I ask questions. I, like I, 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 and maybe I'm too animated for some people, but I, like when I read that, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Is this a good thing or is this a, how do you interpret this? They've been, they have not listened to God one time through Jeremiah. They have disobeyed, 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 disobeyed. They have been, We've seen all that they're guilty of from horrible child sacrifice to idolatry, spiritual adultery. They are just, I mean, they are ungodly. But look what's going on here. 
And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. They have a fast unto the Lord. Now you think, is this a good thing or does it demonstrate that we can, in your life, in my life, have an, we can have religious activity. We can have religious ceremony that just becomes empty, meaningless ritual. We can go to church. We can sit in small group. We can say amen. We can raise our hands. We can give our tithe. We can, we can, and it really is just meaningless. I mean, are they fasting before the Lord because they are coming to confess their sins because they know that they're guilty? Or is this just meaningless, meaningless, meaningless? Outward religious ritual with no inward reality. Is it all shadow with no substance? I mean, how do do you think? I mean, you look, you interpret it the way you want, but I'm throwing out, I'm just throwing out ideas to get you to think about it. When you read that, did you go, wait, what are they doing? They're offering a fast unto the Lord. When did this start? They've been violating everything. Now, of course, remember the book's not always in chronological order. So you could say, we'd have to try to put this back in chronological order and go, some of those other things we read, did they come after this? But the point is, it's in chapter 36, it's a weird place all of a sudden to read this. But I know this, even if even if they had not gone to their full-blown idolatry, even say if we were to put this in some kind of different chronological order, even if someone was to make an argument, I would say, well, Congratulations. They did a fast and it didn't really mean anything because how soon after were they committing every abomination they could possibly come up with? Now, you could argue that this is important in your Christian life and my Christian life. If we're involved in all kinds of sin, we're struggling with all kinds of sin, do we just give up and not go to church? Or do we continue our outward religious ceremony, ritual, and worship, even though our heart's not right? Because we, in hopes that is, if we continue to worship, that hopefully we will become more and more convicted and broken and make things better and do things better. So I don't think our sin should keep us from worship. I just think within our worship, we have to be more open and honest with ourselves about, well, I need to be here because I need forgiveness because I'm a sinner and be more willing to admit it. Not just allowing the outward religiosity or the religious ceremony to cover our guilt or to to appease our guilt, but for us to have a chance to confess our guilt and be open and honest with it, at least before God. But I just found it funny that, wait, they're doing a fast? I mean, these people, what, what? But then look what happened. Then read Baruch and the book of the word of Jeremiah and the house of the Lord and the chamber of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, the, 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 uh, the scribe, and the higher court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house and the ears of all the people. So they come for a fast and God gives them a feast in a sense. He gives them his word. When Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord. Then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and lo, all the princes sat there, even Eliashama, 
the scribe, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, and Elnathan, the son of Akbar, Akbor, and Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. All right, so all these people are there. Now, by all means, again, whenever you're reading, you can always stop. You can always dedicate a day. Like if you're reading a chapter, just, just, just very important. Whenever you're reading through the Bible, and let's say you're in some reading schedule, forget the reading schedule. If you come to a chapter like this and it has all these people, just make it a priority that day that at the very least, you'll grab a Bible dictionary and look up each one and just try to see if you can get some information to help you remember them. Because I mean, all of those names, I'm not going to remember all of those people, right? I'm not, I have a hard enough time saying their names, much less trying to remember all of them. But the more you look them up, the more you will, right? So, so they, he reads it, then he goes down. Uh, then Micaiah, Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the ears of the people. So Baruch reads, someone then takes the messages, and then they take it down to all the princes. So the word God to Jeremiah, Jeremiah to Baruch, Baruch reads it, then someone else hears it, and then he takes it to someone else. And in a roundabout way, that's the way it's supposed to always work. When you hear the word of God, you should always be looking for whom you can share it with, who you can talk about it. And then you, they need to share it with someone else. We need to be sharing whenever we can. Therefore, all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushai, under Baruch saying, take in thy hands the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hands and came unto them. So someone hears it and they hear, then they're like, hey, come. They go get the original guy who read it and like, come here. This brings us to verse 15. Now this is getting closer to the context where the study guide wants us to pick it up. And they said unto him, sit down now and read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. So, so it's creating a little bit of buzz. It's creating a little bit of interest. Now, the good thing is it's God's word that's creating it. All right. So they're, they're interested. And this person goes to this person. You're getting the basic idea of what's happening here. Now, it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid both one and another, and said unto Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words. They hear it and they are afraid. Now, this is so hard for us. Now, for those raised in a Christian home, I, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know. I don't understand your world. It's some weird, I don't know what it is. It's like, oh, those are people raised in a Christian home. I don't understand them. Okay, I don't, I can't relate. I don't get it. It's just weird. Your whole connection to Christianity is so radically different from mine, all right? But I would beg, I would plead with you, when you read God's word, whether you're raised in a Christian home or not, for all of us, when you read God's word, do you have any kind of emotional reaction to it? Do you find yourself getting angry, getting frustrated, getting upset, getting afraid, getting convicted, getting happy, getting joy, getting challenged, getting motivated? Or do you just read it because you're supposed to read it? I'm always, when am I preaching? I'm always like, 
what I'm always stopping going, Hey guys, do you see that? How does it make you feel? Like, and, and everybody just kind of looks at me like, yeah, it's just a verse in the Bible. And I'm like, what is your problem? You should be asking 900 questions. You should be ticked off right here. You should be bothered. You should be like, I don't understand. Why is God doing this? It makes no sense. What about this? But everybody just kind of looks at me kind of like, yeah, God's word should do. We should, we should in theory, be moved by it. It's the word of God. Now, to be fair, my reaction to it, my interaction to it, let me make it very clear, is not proof of my spirituality. So this is, this is always the problem. Sometimes in our spiritual life, we do things that look like strength, but in many cases, it's not spiritual strength. It's just our flesh. Let me give you an example. When I read anything, I got my Kindle right here. I've been reading a book called The Monroe Doctrine about AI and China and war. and It's a fictional novel. When I read it, I, I pace. I walk around while I'm reading it, holding my Kindle. I don't sit. I pace when I read a novel. I'm back and forth, back and forth, up and down. I'm, sometimes I'll sit, but then I'll get right back up. And I'm talking to the characters. I'm talking to the book. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, man. What? Oh, no. That can't. Oh, wait. I didn't. No. And don't do that. What do you? No. I can't stand this person. And I have like, I, I go, I go all in. Like when, when I worked at the, when I was in charge of the appointment line uh, at the hospital, I, I was in charge of the appointment line at. And the mornings were crazy busy because everybody's calling in for, you know, acute appointments. And then after that, the day kind of slows down, right? Because you don't really have a lot going on. You got people calling in, putting in a telephone consult. They need a medical refill. They need a referral. You got basic stuff. It really slows down. When you got four, four people working in the appointment line, you know, you may not even get a call for two hours. So I would always bring in novels to read. And everybody would crack up. I'd have my headset on. So if the phone ring, I could just press the button and say, you know, you know, good morning, good afternoon, you know, and the name of the hospital and all that. Okay. But in the meantime, I would just be paying. And so I'd be in the appointment line, just pacing back and forth. And I'd be like, I'm talking to myself. And they'd be like, oh, and then people would be like, so what's going on now? And I'd be like, isn't this crazy? And so because they would see how invested I would get in reading. So therefore, when I do it to the Bible, it's not because I'm spiritual. That's not because I'm spiritual. It's just because that's my fleshly way already. So therefore, I have an advantage on this. But I would say, as Christians, if that's not your normal personality, you, you can't allow your normal personality here to then be a hindrance. Because you're reading, look, the thing is, when I'm reading a novel, I'm reading a fictional novel written by man. When I'm sitting here reading this, it's the word of God. It should do something. Look, these people are hearing it like, I got to go tell someone else. They're like, oh, wait, 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 come here. We got to read it now. And they're like, oh man, we're afraid. We got to tell the king. They're reacting to it. If the Bible truly is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder, even us inside, why are you not moved by it? Why are you not challenged, convicted, excited, scared? Now, sadly, familiarity breeds contempt. We've spent the summer of 2023 trying to get you to read the book of Jeremiah, and I've tried to get you 
talking about it and, and engaged with it. Like what I would think if anybody's been reading the book of Jeremiah this summer, you should be looking for people to talk to. Hey, hey, I was in Jeremiah 7. Where are you? Can you believe what happened in chapter 10? What is going on? This is crazy. But no, people are just kind of like, yeah, I'm reading through the Bible this year. And, well, I mean, I'm at that part where, okay, you don't sound too excited about it. You don't seem to be moved by it. And then when you point out, like when I'm preaching, and I'll be like, hey, guys. And I always will say the question, and if you listen to my preaching, I always say, any good Bible study, any good Bible reader right now should be asking questions. And everybody will look at me like, what's the deal? I'm like, what do you mean? What's the deal? Do you not see the verse? <laughs> do you not see all the problems that come from the, are you not having an emotional breakdown? And they're like, you're too dramatic. And I'm like, okay, never mind, never mind. I'll, I'll just sit here in a monotone way going, oh, this is the word of the Lord and just sound all sanctimonious, but yeah, I like the fact that they're like, hey, we got to tell somebody. Then verse 21, here we go. All right. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll. So he hears about this. He hears about this and he's like, hey, I got to get it. So he gets Jehudai to, go, to get the roll and he takes it out of Lashema's, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and then the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. All right, here it is. There's the king. He's hearing the word of God be read. Now, if the historical context is right, do, I don't know if they know this is from, you know, they know it. Do they know it's from God? Do they know Jeremiah is the one who delivered? I don't know if they, how they know who, the what, where, when, and how. But we do know Jeremiah has been preaching over and over to all of these people involved. And many of what things he's been prophesying, they're seeing the fulfillment of it around them. So how is the king going to respond? Here we go. Verse 22. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. Oh boy. Oh boy. Are you getting nervous? Now he's holding God's word. Right? God to Jeremiah, Jeremiah to Baruch, to all these people. Everyone's had a reaction to it. Now the king hears it. Now he's sitting next to the fire. Do you know, do you know what's going to go down? And it came to pass when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed and the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of the servants that heard all these words. In other words, all of a sudden the king decides it's useless and I guess nobody else wants to respond. Nobody else seems to be bothered. Everyone else seems to be like, okay, I guess it doesn't matter. Now, when we see that the king took a penknife and threw it in the fire, our normal reaction is like, 
pagans. They will hate the word of God and they will reject the word of God. And this culture is taking pen knives and they can cut it and they can burn it. But the word of God will abide forever. I'm more worried about how we as the church take pen knives and cut it and throw it into the fire. I'm worried about how we and our lives, we may not take a pen knife. Let me make it very clear. If you don't take a pen knife and you never throw it in the fire, but you never really engage it, read it, and care about it? Is it really any different? Verse 25. Nevertheless, Alnathan and Deliah and Gamariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. So there were some going, hey, 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 come on, come on, don't burn it. Don't, don't do this. Don't burn it. Don't, don't. But the king commanded Jeremel, Jeremel, the son of Hamalek, and Sariah, the son of Azarel, and Shalemiah, the son of Abedel, to take Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now, I apologize for reading that because this Bible, because it's small print, has like part of the words here and then the part of the words in the next line. So I had to break those down. So, but the king commanded Jeremel, the son of Hamalek, and Sariah, the son of Azarel, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdel, to take Baruch, uh, the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. All right, so he wants he wants them, and God hides them. Here we go, verse twenty seven. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll, and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, "Take thee again another roll, and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll which Jehoiakim the king of Judah hath burned." Hey, they burned it. We're just going to write another. Meaning, you can't destroy God's word. It's going to last. Heaven and earth will fade away, but the word of God will abide forever. Man can ignore it. Man can destroy it, but it's going to abide. And that means you think we would have a more, a stronger reaction to it and a stronger desire to know it. Verse 29. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast? Now, please note, he doesn't like it because he doesn't like what it says. And how many times do we not like what it says? So we, in a sense, take a penknife and we try to cut out what we don't like. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none. So, uh, I, uh, so, so Jehoiakim says, you know, hey, why is this happening? Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat and the night to the frost. Hey, you threw out God's word, I'm going to throw out your body. You throw out my word, I'm going to throw you out. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants. For their iniquity, and I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them, but they hearken not. Then took Jeremiah another scroll, gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book 
which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added besides unto them many like words. Now, we could talk about how the world rejects it, how the world will take a pen knife, how the world will burn it, and we could talk about how they can fight against it, but the word of God will abide forever, and how people throughout the ages have rejected it, mocked it, tried to burn it, tried to destroy it, yet the word of God abides forever, and everybody will be like, amen, those pagans can't get rid of the word of God, those pagans can't overcome it, those pagans can't overthrow it, and we are very loud and proud about that, but I would like us to stop and look in the mirror, and what is your attitude towards the word of God? How do you handle the word of God? Do you allow it to say what it says or do you try to change it, ignore it and reject it? Do you literally let it, does it actually impact you? Does it actually affect you in some way when you're reading it and studying it? Do you actually love it and want to meditate on it? Do you desire it? Do you read it often? Do you meditate on it frequently? What is what what should you be convicted on tonight, August the 31st, about your own attitude towards the word of God? That's what I want to leave with you this hour. We're fast approaching, just about basically two two hours left. I want to I want to leave this one right here. I, I could I could go and read some more on what they have to say here, and the study guide, and maybe they break the names down a little better than I read them. And you know we could get we could go through all of this, and, but you get the basic idea. They probably skip all of the names. That's probably what they do here. They probably do uh, because they're like, you know, if those names aren't important, let's uh, let's say they got some of the names here. Let's see, which names do they have here? Let me look here in the study guide. Let's see, they have uh, Elnathan, Deliah, uh, Gamariah. Uh, I think I said Delilah. Deliah, I'm sorry. And Gamariah. See here, they have Jerahamel, uh, Jer- 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 right? Jerahamel. Hamel, look, I think if you put it all together, they have it all put together. They don't have it separated like in my little Bible here. The son of Hamalek, Sariah, the son of Azrael, uh, Shelemiah, the son of Abdel, uh, to take Barak. Okay, yeah, all right, it looks a little bit. I think the only one, uh, Jerah, Jerahamel, I think that's how I would say it. Jerahamel, maybe I would say it that way. Jerahamel, Jerahamel, maybe. There we go. They, they, do, they do look better in the study guide. They do. They have them all grouped together. In my little Bible, it's like four letters on this line and the rest of the letters on the next line. Okay. But it's still my fault, but there you go. But so they, they do have all the names. Now we could get caught up in all those names and how to say them and who they are. We could look up all the information about them. And that is viable thing to do when you're studying God's word. But what really matters, what really matters and all of this is what is our attitude towards it? Deep down, what is our attitude towards God's word? Come on, what is it? I don't know how long you've been a Christian. Come on, have you grown kind of cold to it? Familiarity breeds contempt. You're not really moved by it anymore. Or do you still find some joy? And reading it. Do you still get excited by it? 
I remember I hadn't been, I hadn't been a Christian for a very long time. I don't know, probably less than a year, maybe a little over a year. I don't know. Remember, and I remember going to the Bible bookstore. I remember that on the local Christian radio station here in Abilene, Texas, KGNZ eighty-eight point one. All right, it was a brand new Christian radio station. That, in fact, that I was exploring because I loved radio. I stumbled upon it before I became a Christian and started listening to it because I'm like, what is this music I've never heard of before? Like, I know everything about music. What is this music? So um, I started listening to them. And after I became a Christian, of course, I started listening to them all the time because, uh, yeah, well, we can get into them. I didn't. I was told I didn't have any other choice. Okay, So I started listening to them. And then I don't know. They had like three times a day, four times a day. They had basically the reading of scripture, but it was kind of in a dramatized way. It was kind of like a dramatized version. There was like music in the background, sound effects, the di- different characters would read. And, but it was just the word of God. They weren't, they weren't adding to the word of God. They weren't doing anything like that. It was just the word of God just being done, read in a more dramatic way. And I loved it. I thought, oh, this is amazing. And I'll never forget going into the Bible bookstore on Butternut Street, Abilene, Texas. And I saw that they had the sets on cassette tape of the Bible and dramatized for Now, I didn't have the money for both. So I think I just bought the New Testament. I wanted to buy the Old Testament, but of course it was much more expensive. And I remember playing those tapes over and over and over and over again. Because I was like, wow, this is so, I get to hear the word. Like when I don't, you know, if I'm if I'm doing something else, I can at least have the Word of God playing. Well, I'm going to know it. I'm going to know it. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to it. Because I was excited about it. I hungered after it. I desired it. Now, even in my Christian life, after all of these years, clearly a lot of that initial love and excitement for it is gone. I don't think I'm sitting around with a pen knife, cutting it and throwing it into fire. But you know what? What what difference does it do if it's if it, I'm not loving it and desiring it or if it's just collecting dust? What good does it do? You may not be taking a pen knife and throwing it in the fire, but if you go to church on Sunday and then throw your Bible in the back seat, you don't see it till next Sunday. If on Sunday you can't find your Bible because you don't know where it is because you haven't used it all week. Do we, do we love it? Do we, do we desire it? Do we really want to know it? Or do we do we say we love it, but then we're like, oh, look over there. I'm going to get involved in that and I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on it may be God's word adjacent, right? You may think it relates to God's word, but in reality, it becomes a replacement for God's word. You may say, well, I'm, I'm worried about political issues because, because I believe in God's word. But in some cases, that ultimately becomes an idol that replaces God's word. Christians pursuing conspiracy theories and political ideas and, and all these other things instead of right here, the word of God. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. It is now 9.46 p.m. Central Time, August the 31st, 2023. We've got just a little over two hours, ladies and gentlemen, before we bring this series to a conclusion.
So keep your notifications on and we'll be, we'll be back as soon as I can. God bless.